Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Sabbath Services. Today we're going to cover about the birth of Jesus Christ, since they're already propping up Christmas trees and wreaths and gifts and all of this sort of thing. Let's first of all come to Second Peter, the first chapter. Now here's what needs to be concerning the Bible. Now, there are some very difficult things to understand. That's true. And Paul wrote a lot of difficult things that are very hard to understand. And how did that happen? Well, because he was dealing with the events at his time, plus writing for all of us down through all time. And... Most Protestants don't understand that the difficulty in the first century was not the problem between the Catholics and Protestants, but it was between the Church of God and Judaism. That was the problem. So we have a book on that. Is Judaism a revelation of God? or a religion of men. Revelation of Moses, rather. Okay. Now, Peter wrote this epistle sometime just before he was he died. And by the way, Peter never went to Rome. So if you want a full series on that, you go on church at home. Guess where they found the tomb of Peter? That'll be on, on that segment. In a tomb on the Mount of Olives. Now, why did he never go to Rome? Because he was to the Jews, and that's called to the circumcision. The only way he would go to Rome is if all the Italians became circumcised, right? Okay, that never happened. (laughs) Okay, chapter 1, verse 15. You can tell from what he's writing, he's preparing for the end. And always remember this. God had the things written down because you can never trust word of mouth. Okay? Verse 15, chapter 1. But I will make every effort that, after my departure, you may always have a written remembrance of the things in order to practice them for yourself. Now, the faithful version reads a little differently because it's been translated properly according to the words that are there. Okay? Verse 16. For we have not followed cleverly concocted myths as our authority when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his magnificent glory. Now he's referring to the time when Jesus took Peter, James, and John up to a high mountain, and he was transfigured before them, and they could see him as if he were a spirit being. That was a vision. Okay. Now, this stuck in his mind permanently. Now think about that. If you had seen that, would you desire to do anything 
on your own. When it was your responsibility to write things for the future. No. Okay. Verse 17. Because we receive glory and honor from God the Father, when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, this is my son, the beloved, in whom I am well pleased. And this is the voice from heaven that we heard when we were with him on the holy mountain. We also possess the confirmed prophetic word. Now, what is that? That is the writings of the New Testament. Now, if you don't have our booklet, the prophecies of Jesus in the Old Testament, 356 of them. Okay? And remember, the apostles wrote the New Testament, but they preached from the Old Testament. So think of that. Confirm prophetic word, which you do well to pay attention to, as to a light shining in a dark place. Now, the dark place is the world. Until the day dawns. Now, that's the return of Christ. And the morning star arises in your hearts. That's the resurrection. Knowing this first. So keep this in mind with all scripture. Old Testament, New Testament. that no prophecy of Scripture originated as anyone's own private interpretation. They didn't say, well, I think they were inspired to write, thus says the Lord. Because prophecy did was not brought at any time. Now think about this. Any time, any inspired writing of God did not come at any time by human will. Now today, we know all the places that men have tried to change. God lets it be that way, so those who want to know the truth must prove it. But the word of God stands. But the holy men of God, Now think about that for a minute. Holy men of God, prophets of old, beginning back there with Abraham, with uh, all the patriarchs, the kings, the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the 12 minor prophets, many prophets that weren't written down, Okay, the Psalms, the Proverbs, all written down. For all of humanity. But for us, who are Christians, to live by. Okay? Not brought by human will, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And also wrote. Okay? Now then, let's come to... Second Timothy, the third chapter, 
Let's see what Paul said concerning the same thing. 2 Timothy, verse 16. All scripture, and that means each and every one. Now today, we're going to look at some mundane scripture that was inspired. Okay? Now, all scripture means all the genealogies, all the histories, all the prophecies, all the prayers and psalms and proverbs. All scripture is God-breathed. And that actually could be translated God-spirited. Because Jesus said that his word was spirit and life. Okay? So think about that. Why is it that when you read the Bible, something happens to you and your thinking when you read it? Because the word comes from God. And it's meant to help you to understand what God wants and how to live and who he is and what he's doing and where we're going. All of that in the Bible. God breathed and is profitable for doctrine. And doctrine's important. And doctrine may contain some details as we will see today. Doctrine merely means teaching. Okay. For conviction. Now conviction is a strong, resolute, mental lockdown that the truth is truth. For correction, correct yourself, for instruction in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, fully equipped for every good work. All right. Now then, since Christmas is coming, let's come to Luke, the first chapter, and let's look at the account that Luke wrote. Now, it's very interesting about this. Before we go to Luke first chapter, let's come to Acts, the first chapter, so we understand where Luke is coming from. Acts, the first chapter. Because Luke was the last one to write a gospel. So he explains here concerning the things about the ministry of Christ, verse 1. The first account I indeed have written, O Theophilus, concerning all things that Jesus began both to do and to teach. So we'll go there in just a minute. And he covers things that none of the other apostles covered. And we'll ask some questions. How did he know? Because we're going to see that there are some very amazing words recorded. Quite amazing. By two women. Mary and her Aunt Elizabeth. Inspired by God. Put into the Bible. And how did Luke get those things? Okay. Well, historically, 
Paul was arrested in 58 AD in Jerusalem, saved from the slaughter of the Jews and taken down to Caesarea. And he was there two years under house arrest. Now Luke was with him. Now how far is Jerusalem from Caesarea? Well, a two-day journey. Do you suppose that he went up to Jerusalem and looked at the archives that the church had? Because we find in Acts the sixth chapter that the apostles said, we're going to have you find out six men who can wait on the tables and we'll give ourselves under the ministry of the word. What was the ministry of the word? Writing down the beginning of the things of the gospel. So Luke would go up there. Now, we have figured roughly that at the time he went up there, Mary would have been in her 80s. We don't know, but did he talk directly with Mary? Very possible. Okay. Now let's come to Luke, the first chapter. And we're going to see just a little something here that most people do not pay any attention to. So let's pick it up here right in verse 1 so we, we get the whole background, where he's coming from. Since many have taken in hand to compile a written narration of the matters which have been fully believed among us. Now, that shows there must have been up in Jerusalem some kind of record of those things in addition to what we have. As they delivered them to us, those who from the beginning had been eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. It seemed good to me, having accurately understood everything from the very first, to write these things in an orderly sequence to you, most excellent Theophilus. Now, Theophilus means lover of God. Okay? So that you might know the absolute certainty of the things you have been instructed. Now, that, that's what we need to know, see. Now, verse 5 looks like a small, innocuous verse. So let's read it, see where it leads us. There was in the days of Herod the king of Judea a certain priest of the course of Abijah. What does that mean, the course of Abijah? Zacharias by name and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Okay, hold your place right here and come to First Chronicles 24. First Chronicles 24. Now I know that Chronicles is very hard reading. Okay. However, you need to understand this about what David did. In getting all the wealth and the plans, the plans from God to build the temple for Solomon, First Chronicles 24, he also stored up wealth, gold and silver and iron and brass, okay, all kinds of things. But what he did, if you read these chapters here, First Chronicles 24, 
you find that he organized the whole order of the temple and of the government in Jerusalem. He ordered the order of priests. He ordered the stationing of the guards. He ordered the heads of the families. Now, when we read, just a little sidebar, when we read in Revelation 4 and 5, how many elders were around the throne of God? 24. Isn't it interesting that all of these things that David broke down were in 24 courses, or in the case of the guards, monthly? So I know it's hard reading because some of these names are really difficult indeed. And I tell you, when we were reading and recording the Bible, the most fun we had was reading the chronologies. <laughs> most of the words, you really have to go over and really get them right. Okay. Why is this important? Okay. Verse 1, First Chronicles 24. These are the divisions of the sons of Aaron. So here's how they work through the whole year. So let's look at it. Let's come to verse 7. Now the lot for the first course came to Jehoah-Arib, second to Jedidiah, the third to Hiram, the fourth to Seorim, the fifth to Malachi-Jah, the sixth to Majamin, the seventh to Hakaz, the eighth to Abijah. Now, why is this significant? How does that tie in with the first chapter of Luke? Each of these courses began in the first month of the year, Nisan. And they would work from noon one Sabbath through to noon the next Sabbath. Now, that was an interesting way to do it, because why? That meant that the priest did half duty each Sabbath. Okay? Half duty to start from noon, and first duty in the morning until noon. The whole week. So what we have, Zechariah at the temple is the eighth course. Okay? Now, on the calculated Hebrew calendar, and you can go to page, you don't have to, but write it down, 1258 in the Holy Bible in its original order, and we have all of that detailed out there. Okay? So this means his course went this way. The first course was the first week in Nisan. The second week leading up to Passover. Then the third week, here's what they did. All the courses were Passover unleavened bread, and all the courses were Pentecost. So you count down one, two, three, all courses together for the week. So that's course four is there, plus all the rest. 
Then five, six, seven, and eight, you come to the week before Pentecost. Okay? And then Pentecost was the ninth week when they were all there. So what was Zacharias in the course of Abijah? What was he doing at the temple? What were his duties? Okay. We know when he was there. The week before Pentecost and the week of Pentecost. Two weeks. Okay. So let's see what happened with him at the temple and what happened when he left the temple. Okay. Verse 6, chapter 1, book of Luke. Now they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord. And they did not have a child, as Elizabeth was barren, and both were well advanced in age. And it came to pass in the fulfilling of his priestly service in what? The eighth course. Now, we can speculate that this vision to him may have come on Pentecost. We don't know for sure. It doesn't tell us, but that would be a likely date for it. Fulfilling his priestly service before God in the order of his course. So if we have the calculated Hebrew calendar, we can look at the weeks, which we have back there in that appendices on page 1258. You can Find out when these things took place. According to the custom of the priestly service, it fell to him by lot to burn incense when he entered into the temple of God. And all the multitude of the people outside were praying at the hour of the burning of incense, which is somewhere right around 10 in the morning. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Now, question. Where did Luke get all this information? Because he wrote it down and he, had, he got it from somebody. See? So he must have gotten it when he was there in Caesarea and went up to Jerusalem. Okay, And when he saw... The angel, Zacharias, was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Fear not, Zacharias, because your supplication has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth shall bear a son, and you shall call his name John. Okay. And he shall be a joy and an exultation to you, and many shall rejoice at his birth. He shall be great before the Lord, and he shall never drink wine or strong drink in any form, and he shall be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall turn to the Lord their God. Now notice what else he says about it. This tells us something important, because God always makes these things known. Okay, He prophesies ahead of time, then it's fulfilled, and you look back at the prophecy, and you see what happened, and see that it did happen. He shall go before him in the spirit of Elijah, 
to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Okay. Now hold your place here. Come to Malachi 3. Malachi 3. One verse in prophecy. Quite a thing indeed when you look at it. And accurate? Yes, indeed. Because once God prophesies something, guess what? It's going to happen. There's no way it's not going to happen. Okay? Malachi 3, verse 1. This one verse. Okay? Let's read it. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. Now, this is the one who became Christ, saying he's going to send a messenger before his coming. And the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he comes, says the Lord of hosts. Now, when it says, behold, he comes, that's quite a thing, isn't it? Think about that. Now, remember how Jesus first came to the temple. We'll just project forward ahead a little bit. How did he come? Where is that recorded? That's recorded in the second chapter of John. He all of a sudden appeared at the temple, and what did he do? He made a scourge, and he drove out the money exchangers and the cattle and the sheep and the pigeons and strew the money of the money exchangers all over the temple grounds floor. And I imagine they were out there going after, trying to get all of their coins. Oh, this is mine. No, that's mine. <laughs> trying to get it all. Okay. And what did he say? You have made my father's house a house of merchandise when it should be a prayer for all people. Right? Then they said to him, By what authority do you do this? Remember what he said? He said, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it up in the third day. They couldn't believe that because it was 46 years and being built. But he was talking about his body. Okay? So here's the prophecy being fulfilled right here with Zechariah. Let's come back to Luke 1. Okay? Now, this is a good, good lesson in that small little details are just as important as major proclamations. Zechariah. He must have been 70 or older, and his wife 70 or older. He said to the angel, By what means shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Now here's another good lesson about believing God, and believing an angel of God, right here. Okay. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to you to speak to you 
and to announce this good news to you. Now think about this. Angel sent to a priest of the eighth course right at the time that's necessary for John the Baptist to be conceived and born so that he comes before Christ. Okay? Notice. But behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day in which these things shall take place. So he couldn't talk. Here he is there in in the holy place. Angel talking to him. He's offered the incense. He's given this great message. And of course, at that age, he doubted. But what, what lesson do we learn from this? It doesn't matter what age, doesn't matter what promise, it doesn't matter what God says, it will take place. That's what's the important thing. Because you did not believe my words. Now that's something, isn't it? But these were the words of God that he gave to the angel to give to Zacharias, which shall be fulfilled in their time. Okay. Then the people were out there wondering, well, what's taking him so long? And he comes out and they look at him and they say, what happened? What happened? What happened? He couldn't talk. <laughs> He couldn't talk. So they probably had to bring him something to write on. And he said, in writing, an angel talked to me. So they knew something big had happened, but he couldn't tell them. What an amazing thing. See, now that's the opposite way that men do things. If they do something great, what do they do? They get out the bands, they get out the armies, they get out the trumpets, they get out the flags, they get out the rallies and all this sort of thing to make it known. <laughs> Here, he couldn't talk. All right. Then after those days were fulfilled, verse 24, and after those days, Elizabeth, his wife, has conceived but hid herself for five months, saying, verse 25, The Lord has intervened for me in this, at the time in which he looked upon me to take away my reproach among men. Okay? Now notice verse 26. Again, now, if we get the timeline with Zechariah, down to the birth of John the Baptist. Notice we can follow that same timeline right along here. Verse 26. And in the sixth month of her pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth, far away from Jerusalem. Interesting, isn't it? Now, why is that? Well. We know the problem today. What's the problem in Washington, D.C.? The deep state. What was the problem in Jerusalem? The deep state. With the priests and the scribes and the Pharisees. See, 
They wanted Christ to come in magnificence and glory and power and come to them and embrace them and say, I'm going to get rid of the Romans for you. But God had bigger plans. So it wasn't done that way. So it was in Nazareth, a little outback town far away from Jerusalem. Let's look at what happened with Mary and then see some astonishing things that are recorded for us. First, I want to show this to you. I know many of you have it. It's the Harmony of the Gospels in Modern English, The Life of Jesus Christ, 300 and some odd pages, which we send out at no cost to anyone who asks for it. Now, through the years, we've sent out about 70,000 harmonies of the gospel. Okay, This takes you through all of it step by step, coordinated with a calculated Hebrew calendar and the Roman calendar. And there's a lot of information in there that will help you. So you write for it, email us, call the office, whatever. Now let's continue with the account with Mary and what happened with her. Now, think about this for just a minute. How did we get these direct conversations? I mean, that's quite a thing, isn't it? That means that contrary to the way that the world views things, that those at that time were a bunch of illiterate people running around with worn-out burlap bags as clothes. (laughs) that's the way they picture it. No, they wrote. So Zechariah had to write all of this down, right? Yes. Okay. Now, what about Mary? That's even more interesting. Okay. So let's pick it up, chapter 1. And verse 26, now in the sixth month, now we'll see a little later, that's of Elizabeth's pregnancy, not the sixth month of the year, okay? The angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the lineage of David and the name of the virgin was Mary, or Miriam. And after coming to her, the angel said, Hail, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. That's quite an introduction, right? Here she is, all alone. Now Mary... She had to be young. Now, how old do you do we suppose that she could have been? What, 18 to 20? Somewhere right around in there. Okay. Now, when she saw him, she was greatly perplexed at his message. You know, first thing came into her mind, I wonder what this angel is doing here. <laughs> okay. 
and was considering what kind of salutation this might be. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, because you have found grace with God. And behold, now, let's look at, let's look at how God does things. He does things many times that are impossible. Why? To show that it was from God. Did he do this with Abraham and Sarah? Yes. Okay. Yes, indeed. So he's doing it here. We can conclude then, everything that has to do with the birth of the coming of of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, was handled by Gabriel, and impossible things were done to show that this was done by the hand of God. So I said, you found grace with God. Behold, you shall conceive in your womb and give birth to a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now that means God with us. So this is God in the flesh. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest, And the Lord God shall give him the throne of David, his forefather. Now we find this prophecy in Isaiah 9 and verse 6. So this is a fulfillment of prophecy. See, when God does something, he either starts it at one place, which he does. He finishes it at another place, which he does. And sometimes there are hundreds of years in between. The prophecy that a virgin will conceive was 800 B.C. 800 years. Okay. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob into the ages. That's on into the kingdom of God. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. But Mary said to the angel, How shall this be since I have not had sexual relations with a man. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit shall come upon you. Now listen carefully to this. Okay? And the power of the highest shall overshadow you. This means this comes directly from God the Father. And for this reason, the Holy One being begotten in you shall be called the Son of God. Now then, how did God do this? Well, there's another almost impossible thing that God did. Let's look at it this way. What was the first prophecy of the coming of the Messiah? Genesis 3.15, right? Right after the sin of Adam and Eve. Okay, so here we are 4,000 years later. God planned this in the ages before there was time as we know it on the earth. And he made man and woman in the image of God. That's the first thing. Why did he do that? 
so he could become a man. Deuteronomy 18. That's the prophet. Okay? Little sidebar. That's not Gerald Flurry. So what did God have to do? Well, think about it for a minute. When God spoke to Moses, and Moses wanted to see the glory of God, what did he tell him? He said, no man can look upon my face and live, right? Okay, so then, I'll let you see my back part. Just a flash of it, so you will know. Okay, we find that in a book of Exodus. So, what did God have to do? So this conception in Mary take place. Now think about it. What have you been asked to give up for God? How important? Was it that you had to leave this or that? Or maybe it cost you your job. Maybe it cost you something else. Very difficult. Okay. Now we are told as human beings before God, we must be humble, right? We can't be arrogant. We can't be lifted up in vanity. But who was the most humble of all? Jesus Christ. What did he have to do? First of all, he had to have complete confidence and trust in the Father. Okay? Because what he had to do was to become a pinpoint of life. This was also written down. Now, God is a covenant God. And he has it written down. Now, there were many prophecies written down concerning Christ, right? Okay, many. Hebrews 10. Let's pick it up in verse 4. Because it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Why? Now, they did receive forgiveness, so the forgiveness was to the temple. But to forgive sin, there has to be something greater than the one who has sinned to forgive that sin. Now, is a bull or goat or lamb less than a human being? Okay, yes. Therefore, cannot forgive human sin. So, what did God do? He decided that he would come, as we're seeing here with Mary, in the flesh. So what did he have to do? He had to give up his glory. We'll see it in a minute, but here, continuing Hebrews 10, and on now verse 5. For this reason, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but you have prepared a body for me. You did not delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin. Then said I, Lo, I come. That's the one who's Christ, who come. I come as it's written of me in the scroll 
of the book. Just put in your margin, Daniel 10.21. That shows that in heaven, when Gabriel came to Daniel to tell him about the coming of Christ, he says it's written in the book of truth. Where is that book of truth? In heaven. So this was written in heaven. God the Father and Jesus Christ had a covenant exist, existing between them, and the covenant was this. Christ, because he created mankind, and because mankind sinned, that he would become the sacrifice for them. But he had to be of greater value than all human beings. So God had to become a man. So he says, written in the scroll of a book, to do your will, O God. Okay? And in this saying above, he said, sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and sacrifice for sin which are offered according to the law, you did not desire. Then I said, Lo, I come to do your will, O God, to take away the first covenant to establish the second. Okay? He said there in verse 5, You have prepared a body for me. Now how did God prepare that body? Okay? Now, a lot of different theologians, let's come back to Philippians 2nd chapter now, okay? They speculate, how did God come into flesh? Well, some say Jesus was a man, and Christ from heaven possessed the man, and that's how it worked. That God himself did not really die, just a man, Jesus. That's called Diocetism. Others don't believe in Christ at all. But here in Philippians, the second chapter, it tells us what he had to do and shows the great humility of God. Verse 5. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. This is what we're to develop. This is the character. These are the things we go through. Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Now, we covered that in in John, the first chapter, verses 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay. He emptied himself. Now, that's quite a statement. Quite a statement. Here he is, spirit being, cannot die as a spirit being, so he emptied himself to become that pinpoint of life so he could be begotten in the womb of the Virgin Mary. Gave up everything. Everything. to become the sacrifice for the sins of humanity. That's quite a thing. Would you not say that's a greater sacrifice 
than all the animals in the world? Yes, indeed. Okay. Notice. Emptied himself and was made in the likeness of men, and the likeness there is homoya, or homoyomati, meaning in the exact sameness. Now, here's something else we need to understand. Okay. Now think of this. He had the inheritance from the Father, correct? Combined with the egg and genes of Mary, correct? Mary had human nature, even though she was righteous. No such thing as a Catholic say, immaculate conception, and she was assumed bodily into heaven. That's all pagan nonsense, okay? Now, in order for him to be tempted in every way like we are, he had to have human nature. Otherwise, all the temptations would have been nothing. If it was impossible for him to sin, would have been nothing. How could he be tempted? Now, if you knew something was impossible, You'd sit there and laugh, right? Well, no. He had to receive human nature, and what did Paul call that human nature? The law of sin and death. Was Jesus subject to death? Yes, indeed. So, he had to carry that within him and never Sin. Think on it. So his task was really a fantastic, magnificent one. That's why his sacrifice covers the sins of the whole world. See? Okay? And this, does this not show the love of God in the greatest demonstration of humility by God? Yes, it does. Okay. And took on the form of a servant, and being found in the manner of man, everything that we do, eat and breathe and sleep and, uh, you know, all of this sort of thing, get tired and etc. He humbled himself. Now, not only just to become a man, but pointing toward his demise. Quite a thing, indeed. Became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. No more torturous way to die than that. Okay? Now then, let's come back to Luke, the first chapter. Now you see why all of this is written down for us? And we're going to see this. We'll ask the question from here on in. What did Mary know, and what did Elizabeth know? Since these things took part. Okay? Back to Luke 1, verse 35. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit shall come upon you, and the power of the highest, that's the Holy Spirit, shall overshadow you, 
And for this reason, the Holy One that's being begotten in you shall be called the Son of God. Now, why did I translate it that way? Being begotten. Because that's the way the Greek reads. It is a passive tense verb, being done. Present tense. Okay? So right as he was speaking, this was occurring. Now, another sidebar we need to understand. This shows what? That the Holy Spirit is not a person. Why? Because if the Holy Spirit were a person and the Holy Spirit impregnated Mary, because it was a person, the Holy Spirit would have been the father of Jesus. But the power of the highest, an aspect, an attribute, a power of God to Mary. And the highest is not the Holy Spirit. The highest is the Father. Okay? For this reason, the Holy One being begotten in you shall be called the Son of God. Now behold, Elizabeth, your kinswoman, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Look at the impossible things done all the way down here and timed by the things that God set in motion. The prophecies, the holy calendar of God, to be done specifically at the time that God wanted. Okay? Now then, let's read on, and let's see what Mary said, and what Elizabeth said. And think about, these had to be written down so we could have them. See? And the angel departed from her. And Mary rose up and went into the, went with haste into the hill country of the, to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Now notice what happened. Here's Elizabeth, six months pregnant. Okay. Now it came to pass when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the babe leaped in her womb. Life, human life, because human life is from conception. Why? Little sidebar. Not many people know it. We have it in the book, Why Were You Born? From the Speck of Dust to the Son of God. That they know at the instant of conception with the father's seed, into the mother's egg, there's an instant flash of 480,000 volts. Bang! Why? What is that? That must be the spirit of man given to the new conception. Right? So what is the truth of the matter? Regardless of how a woman becomes pregnant. At conception, God sends the spirit of man. Why? Because without the spirit, 
the body is dead. And what happens when that conception takes place? Immediately, there's the development of a brand new life. So here we are at six months. Now, at six months, fully developed but small. And notice what happened. The babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, let's ask another question. Do you suppose in the house of Zechariah the priest that they had scrolls that are copies of the scrolls at the temple so he could study and prepare for his work, so he could know the word of God? Now, they speak of things that are in the word of God. So they had to have this to know, right? Now, notice what she said. Verse 42, and she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Who? Now, the Catholics re repeat this in chants as they go around the beads. And that's meaningless. But this is what Mary said. This had to be inspired by God given to her at that moment for that very thing. But some of this indicates that she also knew some of these things ahead of time. What do you think she was thinking about for six months up to this point? Huh? When the message from the angel to Zechariah to Elizabeth was, you're going to give birth to a son, and he's going to go before the Lord to prepare his way? Imagine what she thought. I mean, this is no small matter. This is tremendous, see? Do you think something as tremendous as this was unknown to them? No, it was revealed to them. It was told to them. Okay, verse 43. But why is this beginning to happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She knew. How about that? For behold, as soon as the sound of your greetings reached my ears, the babe in my womb leaped for exaltation, that is happiness and joy. I imagine he was just thumping around on her stomach and waving his arms and all this sort of thing. Okay. She knew something was going on. Okay. Now, all of us men will never know what that's like. That's just the way it is. Closest we can come as fathers is when your wife gets big enough and she is quite full and the baby's kicking. You can put put your hand on her stomach and you can feel him kick and you can kind of put your ear down there and hear a little bit. Now today we have ultrasound. When that happens, there's an ad. It's very interesting. Here's this couple, and they see the ultrasound, and what do they see? Two babies. Surprise! <laughs> okay. So, the babe in the womb recognizes the mother's voice, can respond to sounds, can hear music, 
and practices nursing by sucking its thumb. Okay? And that's all a baby knows when it's born. And that's what it needs to know. Okay? Blessed is she who believed there shall be a fulfillment of the things spoken to her by the Lord. Then Mary said, now here's Mary's response. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has exalted in God my Savior. Now think about that. She was inspired to know that the babe in her womb, when he's a full man, be her Savior. Astonishing. For he has looked upon the humble estate of his handmaid. For behold, from this time forward, all nations shall call me, all generations rather, shall call me blessed. All generations. So she was inspired to say that. How did that get recorded? Well, Mary and Elizabeth must have sat down and wrote it after they had been inspired to speak it. What else can you conclude? They didn't have recording machines. They didn't have digital phones. <laughs> okay. So this is really amazing. Because the Mighty One has done great things to me. Holy is his name, and his mercy is toward those who fear him from generation to generation. Now think of that. Generations into the future, generations that are in the past through the second resurrection. This is amazing stuff going on. And what? Between two women. Okay? All men? Let that humble you. Okay? <laughs> Verse 51. And he has worked strength with his arm. He has scattered the haughty in the imagination of their hearts. He has brought down rulers from thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He helped his servant Israel in remembering his mercy. Now notice. Verse 55. Quite a verse. Exactly as he has spoken to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. Think about that. Quite a thing. That's why Isaac was born to Sarah. Abraham, who was a hundred, Sarah was ninety. Okay? Again, everything related to the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ in the flesh, has impossible things that only God could do to make it happen. So let's go on. Exactly as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And Mary dwelt with her about three months and returned to her house. Now, think about this for a minute. What do you think they talked about? You think they sat there in that house for three months and just stared at each other? <laughs> no, of course not. They talked about this. Think about that. 
Elizabeth would talk about the angel that came to Zechariah and how he came home and had to tell her, look, we got to make this happen. You're an old man. What are you talking about? Well, he has to write it down because he can't talk to his wife. Okay? And they come together, and at 70, she becomes pregnant. Okay? Because she thought, oh, I have a bad reputation among the community because I have never had a child. But hear this. And Mary... who'd never had a man. And Joseph was willing to separate her quietly, but God had to send an angel to tell him, look, she is pregnant through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, and the one born is going to be the Son of God, Emmanuel. Okay? Imagine them talking back and forth. We don't have any of those conversations recorded for us. But I'm sure there was plenty of discussion and prayer and thanksgiving and taking care of each other, being careful with each other. Think about what God entrusted these two women with. The two most important births in the whole Bible. Amazing. Now then, let's come down here and see what Zacharias really knew. Let's see what happened. Mary dwelt with her about three months, returned to her home. Now verse 57. And Elizabeth's time was fulfilled that she should give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and kinfolks heard that the Lord had magnified his mercy toward her, and they rejoiced with her. Now, they didn't have phones like we have today, but think about this. All during the nine months of her pregnancy, think about the chatter and clatter that went on between all the priests and their wives. Now, verse 59 came to pass on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the little child they were going to call him Zacharias after the name of his father. Then his mother answered and said, No, he shall be called John. Now here you've got all the relatives there for this circumcision party and they're arguing about what they're going to call him. And Zachariah couldn't speak yet. Okay, so notice. And they said, to her, there's no one among your kinfolks who are called by this name. Then they made signs to the father as to what he desired him to be named. And after signaling for a writing tablet, now think about this. They had writing tablets. That's how we got all of what we have here, right? Yes. And he wrote saying, John is his name. And they were all amazed. Then his mouth was immediately opened, and his tongue was loosed, and he spoke, praising God, and fear came upon all those who dwelt around them, and the entire hill country of Judea, and all the things that were being 
talked about. And all who heard these things and laid them up in their hearts, saying, What will this little child be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. Now notice how God inspired him to speak. And all about the one who would be John the Baptist. Verse 67. And Zacharias his father was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and has worked redemption for his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Exactly as he spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets since the world began. Okay? That goes right back to Genesis 3.15. Salvation from our enemies? Now stop and think about that. Who is the greatest enemy of us? Satan the devil. Okay? Salvation from him. And from the hand of those who hate us to fulfill the promise of mercy made to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father. Now listen. Both Elizabeth and Mary and Zechariah talked about Abraham, our father. So they must have understood in type the things that Abraham went through and how it is being fulfilled in their lives. Now you talk about an amazing thing, and here we are. What? Over 1,900 years past that? And we can read the very things that they thought and wrote. That's amazing. Verse 75, walking in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, little child, shall be called the prophet of the highest. For you shall go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, just like the prophecies said. To give knowledge of salvation to his people by remission of their sins through the deep inner compassions of our God in which the day spring from on high has visited us to shine upon those who are sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death to direct our feet in the ways of peace. And the little child grew and was strengthened, and he was in the wilderness. Okay? Now, we're going to see that Elizabeth and Mary kept these things in their hearts. And I'm sure God gave them almost perfect remembrance of everything that went on. So this is an amazing thing. So now, as we face the world season of Christmas coming up, we know the truth of what the Bible tells us in great detail. So, we'll see you next time.